Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today we're going verse by verse through the book of John. So turn there in your Bibles as we join Pastor Mike. This morning as we look at the book of John, one of the things that Jesus always endeavored to do was that was to have us at peace with him. Now last week when we started off in John 15, Jesus said, I am the true vine, my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may bring forth more fruit. Well, we think about that for a minute. Oftentimes, the pruning isn't a really pleasant experience, uh, but it's necessary. And because of that, it brings us up to verse 11. And here it says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy would remain in you, and that your joy would remain full. Why is that? Well, first of all, you, me, were taken care of by God. That's what brings joy, friends. There is no worse feeling than feeling like an orphan or that no one loves you. If you experience that today, I just want you to know you have a God in heaven who wants to take care of us. And part of taking care of us is putting into our life the things that belong and taking out of our life the things that don't. The pruning, you might say. Why is that so important? Because when I know I'm taken care of, it gives me joy. Joy is not necessarily happiness. Well, I thought they were synonymous. No. Happiness is when things go my way. Green lights down blue lakes, I'm styling. Yeah, baby, yeah. But when a red light comes, that can take away my happiness. Oh, I have to stop. I'm in a hurry. I, I, I gotta go. I gotta go. It's funny how we can have happiness in our lives when things go our way. And how we don't have happiness when things don't. But joy is different. Joy is always that constant standard of knowing that God's God is very best for us. And that supersedes happiness because happiness is fleeting. Joy is substantial. Jesus said, know this. I'm going to put in your life the things that belong. I'm going to take out of your life the things that don't. Don't get mad at me, God says, when I take things out of your life, the pruning, because I want your joy to remain. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word today, we ask you that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. And that, God, that we would glean from your word today those things which make a difference in our lives, not only while we're here, but in life eternal. And so we ask you now to anoint these words from your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. This is a commandment. You know, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And immediately we start thinking about, oh, all these commandments and and everything. They came to Jesus. He said, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? 
And Jesus said, love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and spirit. The second is like unto it, he said, love your neighbor as yourself. For upon these two hang all the law and the prophets. You want to know what the whole Old Testament in a capsule was about? Was to love God and love your fellow man. I can't really do that. Now, I, 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 I try to love. I can love. But I find sometimes my love runs out. All my love-o-meter runs low. Have you ever found that in your own life? I love people. People love me. Until somebody signals left and turns right and almost runs you off the road. That makes me angry. So my love is fickle, sort of. I realize that. So I need then something to compare what real love is, not necessarily my definition of it. Jesus says it like this, and this is best. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. He's the standard, as I've loved you. What did Jesus do? He laid his life down for us. Now, I like that. Because in this, we find a lot of interesting things that kind of encapsulates in this next verse. You might say the first verse here, verse 12, is the pattern of love. As I have loved you. I have that underlined in my Bible because I believe that's really important. He is the standard. Now, again, everybody has a different idea of what love is. If you grew up in the uh, late 60s, early 70s, your concept of love could really be messed up. Uh, You listen to some of the songs on the oldies channel. If you can't love the one, if you can't love the one you love, love the one you're with. Oh, that's some real good love there, ain't it? You think about what love meant. I, 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 I can't, I, I, you know, I can't encapsulate this any better than when the Beatles sang the song, All You Need Is Love, boop, 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 all you need, and then they broke up. I, 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 I always wondered about that. How do they do that? As I have loved you. We have a standard for real love. I like that. So we have the pattern. The second thing we have is proof. And this is verse 13. Greater love hath no man than he lay his life down for his friends. So we have the proof. What did Jesus do? Substitutionary death for us on the cross. He laid his life down for us. So we know then that real love requires sometimes, friends, Real sacrifice, insomuch the ultimate sacrifice, and that's laying our life down. Now, we've talked about this before. It's a question that comes up on every man and answer. Is it all right to use force to defend yourself or those that you love? The answer is, of course, yes. In fact, Jesus said in Luke 22, he said, When I sent you out the first time, did you lack anything? Now, this is when he sent the 70 out. And he commissioned them to go out and do miracles and all kinds of things in his name. And they came back and they marveled that even the demons were subject to the name of Jesus. He said, when I sent you out, did you like anything? He said, no, Lord, we didn't like anything. He said, now I'm going to tell you, it's going to be different now from now on. He said, now I'm going to tell you if you need to sell your court and buy a sword. And, and uh, that doesn't mean we're go- to go out and be terrorists. I believe that this, that Jesus is saying, was a right to defend yourself. But more so than that, to defend those that you love. How can I be in a room of people 
and, and somebody comes in the room and wants to harm the people I love. And I look at all of you and I say, oh, I love you so much. Just come in and just kill us all. That's not love. It's cowardness. I've seen a lot of cowardness cloaked in Christianity in my life. Like I say, some of you were raised in the bars and the honky-tonks. I was raised in church, and I bet you my stories are as weird as yours. And so understanding when Jesus said, sell your coat and buy a sword, that means we defend those that we love. Now here's something interesting. Greater love had no man than he lay one's life down for his friends. By laying your life down would in some way have the connotation that there is been or is a conflict. That you would lay your life down for a friend would say that there was something that would require you to do so. In other words, some kind of a fight or something. So we understand that then, that Jesus says that we need to be cautious and careful And we need to be aware that it might require me, if I really say I love somebody, to put myself in harm's way to do so. This is why my heart goes out to everybody that's in the military, that defends us. There are those today around that use the term conscientious objector. Well, they simply don't understand. And they even cloak it in the Bible sometimes, which I I have real problems with, because if they read the entirety of the Bible, they would know that really uh, the only conscientious objection that we would have is to not defend the people that we love. Many of you have lost loved ones and friends over the years in the military defending what we call our freedoms here in America because they're so precious to us, and they are. So this is why we understand what the Bible talks about here, that, that greater love hath no man that he would lay his life down for his friends. Well, the Bible says, thou shalt not kill. I heard this one quoted often. If you go back to the original Hebrew, you'll find in the Ten Commandments, that verse is really saying, thou shalt not murder. It's premeditated hatred to kill somebody without cause. Well, when you realize that people want to come and destroy your family, well, is it wrong to use lethal force if somebody breaks in your house? The answer is no. Because if you don't stop them, they will hurt the ones that you love. Now, again, friends, I've heard this said over and over again, and it simply, it it sounds, you know, so much of Christianity today that I hear on the airwaves and on television is a very, very flawed Christianity. Now, I've been a Christian for, uh, well, I accepted the Lord when I was five years old. And from that time, I had a pretty strong education from my mom who read us the Bible every day. And parents, I just want to encourage you to do the same to your kids. Don't, don't just try to think the church or Sunday school is going to give everything that your kids need to them. It, that's a family thing. And we, we did that. We used to pray together on the floor in the living room. And we, my mom would read us the Bible every day. And I remember, especially in the summertime, kids would come and knock on the door. Can Mike come out and play? No, he, he's having his Bible lesson. You're welcome to come in and sit down and listen too. No, we got to go. And I remember distinctly looking out the window and seeing my friends ride their bicycles up and down the street and my mom is reading me out of the book of Samuel. And I'm going, what is this? And I think back. 
that seem to be a little uncomfortable at the time when you're probably eight or nine years old. And seeing that go on, now I look back and go, thank you, Lord. Thank you that I had a mom that cared. Thank you that I had a mom that would read us the Bible every day and make us memorize it. We used to get rewarded for that, and I think rewards are good. A lot of times kids don't immediately recognize the benefit of memorizing Scripture, but they might, they might recognize the immediate benefit of a candy bar. But the real benefit comes much later in life because thy word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. You have a foundation for your life. So here we find that a lot of stuff is taught in the church that sounds spiritual, but then when you really digest it, it isn't. Um, I've had people say, well, I just trust God. If somebody comes in the room with a gun, I just say, well, fire away. And people go, oh, you're so spiritual. Not really, they're stupid. And I'm sorry to be blunt, but that's what it is. I asked that same person, and I've had this conversation. This is not made up. I've had this real conversation several times where they will say things like this, passive resistant type people. And I said, well, let me ask you a question. When you go to the mall, do you take the keys out of your car? Well, yes. I go, well, don't you trust God? At night, when you go home, do you lock your doors at your, at your house? Yes, well, don't you trust God? Then I'll ask him, uh, driving around in your car. You know, they say that extra weight in your car cuts down your fuel mileage. Do you carry a spare tire in your car? Well, of course. I go, don't you trust God? And all of a sudden, the point begins to be that there is an element of where we trust God, and of course we always trust him, and there's the element of God's common sense that he puts into us. Greater love hath no man that he would lay his life down for a friend. Friends, this verse says there may be confrontation in our lives to defend those that we love. And Jesus said it's an absolute demonstration of love, not a lack of faith. So we have proof. Then we have the precept. You are my friends if you do whatever I have commanded you. What did Jesus just command them to do? Love one another. Now I like that. I like that. God's commanded us to love one another. Do you know what this word really means? Watch out for one another as if they were kinfolk. That's what it's talking about. In other words, we have an eye for the very betterment of one another. This is what a family is. This is what the family of God is supposed to be, not just potential clients on a pyramid scheme when you come in a building. Now, some of you maybe have experienced such a thing as that. You ever notice that? You haven't seen somebody for 20 years and all of a sudden you get a phone, Hi there! Haven't talked to you for, and you think, well, that's kind of nice to call me up. And only they want to get you into some marketing scheme thing. They really didn't care so much about you as they were just saw you as a potential of a of a somebody they could sell something to. But Jesus said, "You're my friends if you do whatever I command you." 
That's to love one another. It means to take care of one another. Not just in lip service. You know, the the early church in in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus addresses a group of churches scattered throughout Asia. And one of them was the church of Ephesus. Good church. Paul started it. And we remember, though, that Jesus had a message for them through the Apostle John. And this is what he said to him. He said, I know your works. And he lists these things that they were doing, and they were very good things. But then he comes out and he says, but this I have against you. You've left your first love. Hmm, that's weird. So they were still doing things, but it was not the right heart anymore. So, in other words, what they once did out of love, watching out for each other, became duty. Became an obligation. They were still doing things, but the wrong heart. Have you ever noticed how we can have the wrong heart? We can be doing things. Why are we doing this? I don't know. I'm just doing it. Well, we, we want to do things for the right reason. And, you know, sometimes I have found that I can be doing things and they're not... They're not, um, not the right heart. And so he says here, you're my friends if you do whatever I command you. He cites this church in Ephesus and he says, but this I have against you. You've left your first love. They were still doing things, but not for the right reason. No longer will I call you servants, verse 15. For a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends. For all the things that I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. This is why I believe, friends, biblical prophecy is so intriguing and an eye mark of God's love towards us. Henceforth, I'm no longer going to call you servants. I'm going to call you friends um, because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I'm going to reveal them to you. That's why Paul writes when he says that that day would not take you by surprise. What day? The day of Jesus taking the church home. Be about our daddy's business. That's what we want to be about and learning how to love one another. And by the way, you know what that means? What I found about love is that it's, it's, if you don't know somebody, it's hard to love somebody. I love you, man. Well, that's cool, but who are you? I don't know, but I love you, man, you know. But, you know, I, I find that, like, afterwards, you know, in the, in the other room when we eat donuts, I, I know that sounds kind of crazy, but that's part of ministry as well. Yes, it's Mike's Get Fat class. No, it's not that. What it is... It's a time to visit with one another. How are you doing? What's going on? You know, I'm doing all right, but my car broke down. I need to get a new one. I don't know where to find one. And you go, hey, I know somebody that's got one for sale, and it's a really good deal, and I've checked it out, and it's a good car. Really? That's what the Bible's talking about. It's where you're going, hey, did you, I haven't seen, I haven't seen your wife lately. Where's she at? She's home. She's sick. Oh, do you need me to bring over a meal for you? you? You see, we can say we love one another if we're disjointed because we really don't know what one another's needs are. But when I really start knowing who each of us are, then I go, wow, I can actually do something. Well, something I found out about love is it requires 
a part of me. Now, in a super selfish society where we have magazines named self and me and I and all those things, it's it's hard to kind of get the grasp that life ain't about just me. It's about all of us. And if if I don't want to take a little time and find out how can I help you? What can I do to make your life a little better? Take some of the burden off. Have you ever noticed life can be a burden? Especially in Idaho in the wintertime. We do something for others that they could maybe not necessarily do. I've shared this before, but I always think it's ironic. You know that trip, uh, you know, you've got scheduled going to Hawaii. I know you're really busy and, well, I don't want you to burden yourself by going. So I'll go to Hawaii for you. I'll take that burden off of you and I'll tell you what a great time you would have had when I come back. No, usually that's not the way it works. Usually it's we're doing something for somebody that either they can't do or it's overwhelming. You ever notice life is overwhelming? That's why we do that. How would you want somebody to treat you if you were in that position? Well, I want to tell somebody, but no one cares enough to even ask me what my name is pretty hard to say I love somebody when I don't even know what's going on in their life. So he says, I, I'm not going to call you servants anymore. I'm going to call you friends. That bespeaks of a relationship in some manner that we interact with one another. Yeah, I've interacted with people and I've got my toes really scorched. I've gotten burned. I know, I know, I know. I know. I've been burned too. But you can't do that. Now look, Judas Iscariot was one of Jesus' apostles. Part of the A-team. The apostles. Jesus was God. The ratio was 1 and 12. Okay? We understand that? 1 and 12 was bad. Okay? Where does that leave you and me in the human standpoint. Well, I ought to know if Jesus got betrayed by one of his own, what makes you and me think that we're not going to run into a few bad apples along the way as well? So what do I do? Do I just say, uh, I'm just going to recluse. Uh, I'm, gonna, uh, I'm a rock. I'm an island. I'm going to build my little wall. And occasionally I might... Yep, just what I thought... Or are we going to say, okay, I, I, you know, God, I, yeah, I might get burned, but you know what? I found what God does. He makes up the difference when we are and when we do get burned. God, God's the, the great shock absorber. Thank you for joining us on It's Time as Pastor Mike teaches verse by verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com slash it's time. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thank you for listening and tune in next time for It's Time.